0: that's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your life sports experience at americanexpresscom with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Get in
1: zone, AutoZone.
0: Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. A bottle of Lucas Complete Fuel Treatment can clean your system and help your engine get more MPGs. Right now, you can get two bottles for only 9 dollars a great deal to help you go a great deal farther. Find Lucas complete fuel treatment and everything you need for better fuel efficiency at any one of our 6,300 stores.
1: Get in zone, auto
0: zone. Restrictions
2: apply. Bring spring color inside this season with bare premium plus paint, starting at just 28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake, or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, I'm Ron Barr and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8 Side Network. Walt Frazier has joined us on Sports Byline, Hall of Famer, named one of the 50 greatest NBA players, had a fine 13-year career in professional basketball, 10 of those in a Knicks uniform where he won a couple of NBA championships, and he has a great book out called The Game Within the Game. And let me just read from the foreword by Senator Bill Bradley, Bill Bradley being a former teammate. The game within the game is the game that only the players see. They experience it in relation to one another on the floor at a particular time, and in the middle of the action, it is one of the nuances of the game of basketball. Walt, I wondered what it was that motivated you to write this book at this particular time.
3: Well, because I think the game, the, the evolution and the revolution of today's game, and uh, I happen to be a broadcaster for the Knicks now, and there's such a difference in the game that the guys are playing today as opposed to when I played. Uh, sure, today the players are stronger, bigger, faster but they lack the fundamentals that the former players had and I think the tenacious work ethic.
2: I hear that across the board in sports. Joe Morgan, who's a good friend of mine, the Hall of Famer in baseball, says the same thing about today's baseball players, bigger, stronger, but not as fundamentally good. Why do you think sports has moved in that direction?
3: Uh, style over substance, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the chapters that I talk about. Most of the today's players are enthralled with the – with the three-point shot and the dunk shot. And uh, those are the glamour glamour things that happen in the game today. That's what's embellished on ESPN. So our young kids, they're all emulating the, the pro players now, and that's what they want to do. So as a result, the 10- to 15-foot jump shot has become obsolete in the game today. And when you look at uh, international play and why we're having trouble internationally, that's why. Because when you play internationally, the zone – takes away the big man because it's like a funnel. So the guys can't play like in the NBA where they post the big guys inside. So perimeter shooting becomes a premium, and and the 10- to 15-foot shot is there. But uh, our players are not able to make that shot as opposed to the European players.
2: Do you think, Walt, that today's player in professional basketball is a product of television and that's one of the reasons why they do what they do, play the game the way they play it?
3: Of course, because uh, they see the game as entertainment. Whenever you hear our players talk, well, we're going to go out and have fun. We, You know, they don't talk about winning first. Let's go out and have fun. You know, we went out to, to win. When we played an all-star game, we didn't go out to have fun. We hated the the Western Conference. <laughs> you know, we wanted to win the game. So it's not going to be 130 to 129, Matador defense, guys out there just fraternizing. So, Today, that's what you see in the All-Star game is just uh, let's go out and have some fun, guys.
2: Let's go back to when you learned to play this game. First of all, who were the influences, and what did you learn about playing basketball?
3: Well, early on, because of the lack of exposure by television, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, My idols were the local college players and high school players when I was growing up, so I never met a pro player, never saw a pro game until I played in my first one as a rookie. You know, I used to read the paper, and I, I, I like Will Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson, but I never really saw those guys play. So I couldn't sort of emulate their game, so I just copied mostly, like I said, the college players and high school players that were in Atlanta.
2: Well, I think also the part of the game you mentioned about entertainment, that's certainly what the NBA as a company, as an organization, is emphasizing, the entertainment value. So are the really the players just adapting to what the league wants?
3: Right. Right, because it's about merchandising now. It's about uh, money. Money is another one of the chapters that I embellish, uh, money, money, money. And uh, obviously that's changed the game now, the exposure to these players. All the guys are multimillionaires. So when you get that happening, you have a lot of egos. So to me, a lot of times everybody is tripping. The owners are tripping. The The coaches are tripping. The players are tripping because they all have so much money.
2: Let me ask you about that, and let's get into that. What's the correlation between money, money, money and professional pride? Because do these players still have the same professional pride that you and others had, or do they look upon that professional pride differently?
3: Well, when you look at the superstars, yes. LeBron James, he brings it every night. Michael brought it. Tim Duncan, Kobe, Shaq. But there's another level of players who have ridden on the coattails of those players who are not giving it every night. And I would say most of the big guys in the NBA, once you see them sign a big contract, they seem to lose their motivation. They never really perform up to that level until that contract year is up, is coming up. So that's one thing that you can bet on. Whenever a player, you see a player that's thriving in the NBA, nine times out of ten, if he's not a superstar, his contract is coming up.
2: One of the things, Walt, that I know is true, and I know you'll agree with me on this, is that some of these players are coming out of college, and they are superstars in college. But when they get to that next level, they forget they have to check their ego at the door, and they have to reprove themselves at this particular level. Would you agree?
3: Right, and some guys can't do that. They're devastated because they're no longer the man. No one is catering to them. They have to try to come off the bench. Uh, see, the other problem is when I was in high school, no one ever asked for my autograph. When I was in college, no one ever asked for my autograph. These guys grew up in grade school if they're good. People are catering to them, wanting their autograph, having press conferences, to announce where they're going to college. So this is a tremendous come down now when you come into the NBA and you're just a mediocre player after all of that hoopla. So it's been devastating for a lot of players.
2: I just talked to a friend of mine who was a college coach, a successful one who went to the NBA and was a head coach and is no longer a head coach in the NBA. Uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. And, and I asked him about the difference in co- coaching college players as NBA players. He said the thing that he found after one year was that I could only teach the NBA player one thing of, at a time. That was not what I found at the college level. Why do you think that is? Is the game so simplistic walt that you really only need to or should teach him one thing at a time
3: well i think once you reach the pro level it's difficult to teach a guy anything i mean how, can you change teach him how to shoot once he, he gets to that point you know it's very difficult i mean we know michael jordan improved his shooting but i think he was able to shoot pretty much well when he came into the, to the pros but he became a better shooter i think by shot selection and practice I'm I'm not so sure these guys are that disciplined. I mentioned a tenacious work ethic, and under that headline I would put practicing. I mean, look how pathetic the free throw shooting is. Yes. If you look at the NBA. I mean, I, to me it's inexplicable that a pro player should not be able to make seven out of ten free throws. That's only 70%. Well,
2: Rick Barry and I were together over the weekend, and, of course, he, for his career, shot better than 90% from the free throw line, had that very unusual underhand delivery as well. And I asked him the question about I said, you look at Jack, you look at other players, why can't they shoot free throws? And he says they simply don't care. Is it that simplistic?
3: Well, I think they don't practice. And free throw shooting to me is all about confidence and practice. Okay, whenever I practice something in basketball, I simulate game conditions. So if I'm out there dribbling on the court by myself, I'm assuming that someone is guarding me. So I'm protecting the ball as though that player's there, although even though I'm out there by myself. So when I shoot free throws, you never go to the line in a game when you're not winded. <laughs> so before I practice free throws, I run a wind sprint. I do something to that I'm huffing and puffing when I go to the line to simulate like in a game, and I shoot my free throws. So they say Shaq shoots 200 free throws. Yeah, but he never leaves the line. He never chases the ball. Someone else is running after the balls. So you've got to put pressure on yourself. Like, say, when I run and I go to the line and I miss, I run again, <laughs> you know, because I missed a shot. So if I make some shots, I stay there. But as soon as I miss a free throw, I go back to the same routine. Start running, man. I put pressure on myself. Like in college, the starting five had to make ten consecutive free throws before we left the court. So that means each guy's got to make two shots. So if you want to make enemies, (laughs) you try doing that drill. (laughs) You know, guys are hungry, they're tired, and you are not making your free throws, man. (laughs) You will improve your free throws, believe me.
2: (laughs) When it comes to the big guys, Walt, do you think the physicality of some of these players, as muscular as they are, makes it awfully difficult to have any type of flow or rhythm with the free throw shot?
3: No, because if you look at the European players, I see a lot of these guys are 7 feet tall. You know, they're very good free throw shooters. And uh, most of those guys are very good perimeter shooters, but their problem is they do not develop an interior game. (laughs) So they're just obvious. So you have all these seven-foot guys trying to be guards. They're shooting on the perimeter rather than focusing on playing on the interior. And I think coaching has a lot to do with that, where the coaches have gotten away from, if you're a big man, you know, try to use that height. Go inside, post inside, learn a post-up game. Even as great as LeBron James is, he – Steele doesn't really have a post-up game, and he's 6'8", 245 pounds. Once he masters a post-up game, the guy is going to be unstoppable.
2: Walt Frazier has joined us on Sports Byline. This is a wonderful book. If you really want to know the inside of the NBA game and basketball, the name of this book is called the game within the game. We're going to make it a selection of the month on the Sports Byline USA Book Corner. We're going to talk about specific players, and also we'll talk a little bit about the great teams that Walt Frazier played on, because indeed he played on uh, some great teams in New York that won NBA championships, his teammates like Willis Reed, Bill Bradley, Dave DeBuscher, and Jerry Lucas, along with Earl the Pearl Monroe. So we do that as we continue across the country and around the world as we continue on America's sports talk show, Sports Byline. Walt Frazier has joined us on Sports Byline, one of the 50 greatest NBA players ever, Hall of Famer as well, and we're talking about his book called The Game Within the Game. In the back of the book, Walt, you say, I truly believe that players of all skill levels dedicate themselves to studying winning the game within the game. There's no limit to the astounding heights that the game of basketball can reach. Are you optimistic that it will ever reach those heights, or do you think that the players will not study the game within the game?
3: i I think it's pretty much at the zenith right now because of all the money, because of the hoopla, the exposure. Basketball is a a global phenomenon now. Where the Globetrotters used to be our basketball ambassadors, now the NBA is taking that role. As we saw teams in Moscow, they're playing all over the world right now. And the emphasis is still on entertainment and showtime, you know, three points. Uh, the dunk shot, so I, I really don't see that changing.
2: What about the infusion of the high school player? Uh, Kobe, of course, right out of high school, but he's the exception rather than the rule. Did that bring down the overall skill level of the professional player in your mind?
3: Right, because to me, that illuminates that these players do not know the game within the game. These players, a lot of the players, do not know the history of the game, so they don't, do not know the tradition of the pick-and-roll play, the backdoor play. These are basics and staples of the game. These are the oldest plays in the game, but still the most effective plays. And uh, look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, career-leading scorer in the history of the game, over 38,000 points using the hook shot. Tell me the last time you saw a player use a hook shot.
2: (laughs) The other thing that I think is interesting uh, uh, about the players that you played with is, is that the concept was more oriented toward team rather than individual. Now if you look at the NBA, everything runs through maybe two, maybe three players, but everybody else kind of just stands around. Is that one of the big differences in the game today?
3: Yes, definitely, and that's uh, how they've gotten away from old school basketball. Old school basketball is all about teamwork, discipline, uh, sportsmanship, all of the, the, the better qualities of the game. And, and what you were talking about, they have two or three superstars on a team now because there's a dearth of talent in the NBA, it, which is baffling to me, Ron, because when I played in the NBA in the 70s, all the players were from the United States. Now the players are from all over the world, but they cannot get enough players from all over the world to fill 30 teams. So if you look at the NBA today, there are three or four teams that are really not competitive in the league. So to me, this is really baffling how they have the whole world now to select players, and they really can't get enough players to do that.
2: Well, when you played, uh, was it necessary for you or anybody else on your team or anybody on any team in the NBA to know what their role was? I've never quite understood players saying, I need to know what my role is.
3: It seems mundane but it's very true as a rookie i came in and the coach never told me my role when i go in the game he never told me anything he just said "Frazier, go in for so-and-so so you go out there and that's more true to young players like rookies rookies have to know you have to teach and tell them what their role what you expect them to do obviously the veteran players are a little different but Uh, When you're a young player, you need people to guide you, tell you your role, what you need to do on the court, what you're doing wrong on the court early on so that you can develop the nuances of knowing the game, knowing when to penetrate, when to dish, when to help out on the defense. So these are all the fundamentals that uh, a young player has to learn when he comes into the NBA.
2: You know, when I think back of the great Celtic teams, I think back of the two championship teams you were on I think of teams. I don't think of individual players. Now, when we talk about, let's say, the Los Angeles Lakers, you think of Kobe, you think of Shaq when they were together. When you think even of the Chicago uh, Bulls, you think of Michael, you think of the Worm, you think of uh, Scottie Pittman. But I always think of you guys in in terms of teams. Will that ever happen again? Will we see championship teams instead of teams that have championship players on them?
3: Yeah, well, if you look at the elite teams today, they have the household names. Uh, you look at the Spurs, you look at the Pistons, Dallas now is coming on in that respect. So I think the, the elite teams, yeah, they must play team ball. Phoenix now, so you know all of these guys more as a team than, than individuals.
2: But are they? is that the exception rather than the rule in professional basketball today?
3: Yeah, definitely the exception, and we're only talking maybe five or six teams currently in the NBA that play that way.
2: Let me go back to 1970 because that was such a wonderful year in a championship for the New York Knicks. You, Frazier, Reed, Bradley, DeBush here. What was the catalyst of your success, meaning the team's success, back in 1970?
3: A guy named Red Holzman. <laughs> <laughs> Our coach demanded teamwork. Playing together, both on the offense, on the defense, hitting the open man. Uh, If you did not do that, you would not play. Plain and simple.
2: How is the coaching today different from the way Red would coach you guys?
3: Because today players can get you fired.
2: (laughs) So it's a tail wagging the dog.
3: That's right, because the, the coaches have to somewhat cater to their superstars. Otherwise, these guys end up getting you, costing you your job if they don't go out and perform, and they might quit on you. So there's a difference. When I played, the owners ruled the game. They gave you a contract, take it or leave it.
2: (laughs) Now it's the agents.
3: Now it's the agent and the players. The players rule the game today.
2: Yeah, Jerry Lucas was on your team, and I've had him several times here on the show, Walt, and just a joy. I did not know that he uh, had the great memory that he did. He told me that he memorized every play of every opposing team uh, that played against the New York Knicks at that time. Uh, can you talk a little bit about him and his ability to do that and how that benefited the team?
3: Well there's a formula like he could, he could remember the New York phone book <laughs> and he came out with several books
2: uh, on learning
3: on learning to the, and telling teaching people like he was uh, a whiz with card tricks. So he used to mesmerize us on the bus all the time, and the planes with that, you know, his memory. And, and but his wife said he could remember everything but her birthday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you guys probably tried to hustle him off to Las Vegas and put him in front of a a dealer sometime, didn't you? <laughs>
3: Well, I used, to, I used to get away from him. His locker was next to mine because he'd be asking me, Hey, Clyde, how many steps is it from, from the locker room to the court? <laughs> I would be saying, Who cares, Jerry? Who cares? You know? uh, I don't think he slept at night. His mind wouldn't let him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how about 73? What was the catalyst of uh, that championship season?
3: Well, the 73 team was a more talented team because we acquired Earl DePearl. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we also had Lucas on that team, whereas the, the 1970 team, as you epitomize, you know, we epitomized team. You couldn't say Frazier without Reed, without Bradley, without the Busher, without Barnett. But the 73 team was a little different. We had a little more talent there, and it wasn't so team-oriented.
2: One of the chapters in your book is the Hallmarks of Champions, Teamwork and Defense. And I want to ask you about defense. I've always felt that defense was more of an attitude than anything else. Am I correct in that observation? It's
3: all about pride. Yep. Not wanting your man to score on you, taking pride in denying him. I always looked at what my man scored more than what I scored after a game.
2: I remember Dennis Johnson telling me one time that he would just work his opponent to death. He said, because when you got into that fourth quarter, he said, I just wanted him to know I was going to be inside his jersey every minute in the 5-12 minutes of play. And, And I guess that's the defensive attitude you've got to have, isn't it, Walt?
3: And that's also the game within the game. With guys knowing that this is going to be the deal, especially once you get in the playoffs. Knowing that it's going to be hounding and pounding. You're not going to have any much time to shoot. So what you see are guys rushing their shots, you know, because they know you're going to be there. The psychological advantage, that's what uh, Dennis was talking about. That fourth quarter, knowing that uh, the defensive intensity is still going to be there and I'm going to be all over you. Like we used to say in the playoffs, we pick you up outside the locker room. We'll be waiting.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. i got to remember that. (laughs) When it comes to the game within the game for Walt Frazier, what was the thing that you enjoyed and appreciated about that?
3: I like the defense. I I like defense more than scoring. What happened when I was a a sophomore in college, I, I, I failed to make grades, so I was ineligible for what would have been my junior year. So as a punishment, the coach made me play defense every day. So for a whole year in practice, I played defense. So being a pragmatic person, I didn't blame the coach for my woes. So I just said, well, if he's going to make me play defense, I'm going to be the best defensive player that I can. I mastered the techniques of defense, which is the stance or staggered stance. You could have the left foot forward or right foot forward, butt down, head up see the ball, see your man, uh, overplaying passing lanes, knowing the nuances of the player you're guarding. So I used to create so much havoc because it would be just me and four of the scrub players against the varsity. I, you know, I'd, I'd be creating so much havoc, he'd have to say, hey, Frazier, sit down so they could <laughs> run plays, you know. So that's when I fell in love with defense because I played it for a whole year and I brought that intensity to to the NBA. When I first came into the league, they considered me a defensive specialist. But in college, I shot almost 58% from the field, but I was lacking confidence when I first came into the
2: pros. Walt, I want to thank you for joining us. Great, great book. I hope everybody will read it, The Game Within the Game. Come back again and visit with us, my friend.
3: All right, Ron, I'll check you out when we come out to San Francisco.
2: You got it. I'll have you in the studio. Take care, Walt. Hey, take care. Walt Frazier joining us and you as we continue with more of you and America's sports talk show. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.
0: 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com/slash with Amex. Terms apply.
4: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble.